0: The Art of Leadership Network.
1: Welcome to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Kerry here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Man, it's so good to have you. I know a lot of people tune in for the first time to these episodes, so if that's you, welcome. We've got Jenny Katrin on the podcast, her first time in, well, quite a few years back on the podcast, but so delighted to have her back. We're going to talk about toxic culture, how to cast vision for the future when you can't see ahead, and how to create cultural values for your church or organization. Today's episode is brought to you by Compassion. Compassion International offers proven, no-cost resources that help pass make mission and discipleship a priority for the families in their church. You can learn more at compassion.com/carry and by glue learn 7 hacks to inject life into your church. Get access to my free course The Art of Engagement by going to get.glue.us or click the link in the podcast description. Well, Jenny Katrin is a leadership coach, an author, a speaker, and also a friend. Her passion is to cultivate healthy leaders to lead thriving organizations. She speaks at conferences and events nationwide, helping leaders develop clarity and confidence to lead well. She's also the founder and CEO of The Foresight Group, and she consults organizations on leadership, team culture, and organizational health. She has over 25 years experience in corporate and nonprofit organizations, and she has a passion for helping leaders put feet to their vision. She's authored several books, including Clout and the Four Dimensions of Extraordinary Leadership. Well, I'm excited to have Jenny here. Excited to have you here. Hey, if you're new, would you do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast? Maybe you've enjoyed a couple of episodes, but you still consider yourself new around here. I would love that. And even better, leave a rating and review. When you do that, it helps us get the word out to other leaders and allows us to create the best lineup of guests that you can imagine. And then, as possible. We have an incredible 2024 lined up. But when you do that and when you share and when you tell others everything gets better. So thank you for that. Okay, so let me tell you, being a pastor has been one of the biggest blessings of my life. Also, it's also one of the greatest challenges of my life. Do you ever feel, if you're a pastor, like everybody just wants a slice of you? Yep, been there. That's one of the reasons it's so refreshing when you find a trusted ministry partner. And that's what I've found in compassion. Compassion is about much more than just asking people in your church to sponsor a child. Compassion offers proven, no-cost resources to help pastors make mission and discipleship a personal priority for individuals and families in their churches. And maybe you think it competes. It doesn't. It actually helps people grow their generosity, not just to children around the world, but also to your church and locally. Your local Compassion team is 100% in your corner. They care about you. They care about your church. And if you're looking for a partner to do mission work, because I think the DIY era is coming to an end, you can go to compassion.com slash carry. That's compassion.com C-A-R-E-Y. Well, you also know as church leaders, you want to see your church grow But here's what I've discovered. If you focus on engagement, you're not going to have to worry about spiritual and numerical growth that you're often seeking. So I partnered with Glue to create a free course for you. It's called The Art of Engagement. Brad Hill thought it would be fun to flip the mic, and so he asked me why this course is essential for church leaders. Here's what I had to say. Well, Carrie, it's fun to be here and kind of turn the tables a little bit today. Uh, We've got a new course, and, and I wanted to make sure we got a chance to ask you a couple questions about it. I remember years ago, you wrote a blog post that engagement is the new attendance for churches. And engagement is this word we use a lot. Why, why do you think we needed a course called The Art of Engagement? I'm glad that post started a conversation in the wider church. And I thought it was time to put some definition around exactly what that means. So I partnered with you at Glue to produce this free course. And basically, you know, I, I, you know, I was a pastor for 20 years. We all want to see lots of people at church. And the challenge with that is it's getting harder to generate attendance. And then one day the idea hit me, wait a minute, who attends church? Engaged people attend. We've been trying to get attenders to engage, but what if you just focused on engagement Because if you can focus on engagement, you're going to get better disciples, better evangelism, people are going to show up. And so the entire course is designed to help you and your team find a modern, up-to-date strategy on how to actually connect with people to get them engaged with their faith. And then attendance takes care of itself. Yeah, so a leader taking this course is going to learn those things. And can you point to any other practical stuff that, as a pastor, I'm going to walk away lead my team through this course, what am I going to learn practically? Sure. Well, we do talk about discipleship in the church and how to do that digitally. We also talk about a customer journey, and you're so good at that, at Glue, and there are digital tools that can help. I mean, the point of first contact is not the parking lot anymore. It's not the sermon on a Sunday morning in the building. The point of first contact for every church, I don't care how big or how small it is, is now the internet, right? They're visiting your website. They find you on social. They're watching your YouTube channel. And so you need to start that journey of engagement much earlier on than you had to even five years ago. So we show you exactly how to do that, give you some really practical resources that hopefully can help because the foyer has moved. All right. So there you go. I flipped the mic <laughs> real short. Hey, if you want free access to the art of engagement, you can go to get.glue.us or click the link in the podcast description. That's get.gloo.us and click the link in the podcast description if you want to get there faster. Well, now, without further ado, my conversation with Jenny Catron. Jenny, welcome back to the podcast.
0: Gary, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, we got to hang out in real life a couple of weeks ago. You came up here to Canada. We had dinner with a bunch of pastors in my backyard. Then you and your husband, me and my wife, went for dinner the next day. You hung out with the Conexus team. It was really Super great to fun. see you in person, and I thought, it's time to catch up. Right? So, right. Um, Jenny, yeah, it is time to catch up. It's been too long. So you have worked with church leaders directly for over a decade. You've started off in the music business, then you transitioned to executive pastor at Crosspoint Menlo Church, and now you've been doing direct work with church leaders, largely in the area of culture, operations, strategy, sure. strategic planning, etc., for a decade. Based on what you see, what are some of the biggest challenges that church leaders are facing right now?
0: Yeah, Carrie, it's so interesting because I think the the challenges I'm seeing now are more of where I, I find leaders a bit more tentative and mm. a little more um, still reactive. I think, you know, COVID put us into a posture of just having to react to the unexpected circumstances. And so I still sense a little like fearfulness and timidity in leaders of like, I don't know quite what to do, or I'm having a lot of leaders and, you know, and church leaders specifically saying, hey, I'm struggling to define the vision for the future. Of course we know the mission, right? But like, you know, how do I cast all those grand 2020 visions that we all had, right? And then it was like, (laughs) yeah, totally (laughs) explodes. And so I just feel a little tentativeness from leaders with that. Mm. And uh, and so I think that's one of the things that I'm seeing pretty frequently. Now, I think enough leaders are getting frustrated with it, right? They're like, okay, enough of this. We need to get back to that visionary. Besides the fact, most leaders are visionaries. So we're like, we're hungry to be helping lead towards, you know, what we see on the horizon where God is leading us next. And so I think the opportunity I see is that move from reactive to proactive again, right? Like we're ready to like get more proactive about, okay. Where are we going? Why are we going there? What's on the horizon? Um, you know, and to get away from that tentativeness or timidity that so many leaders are feeling.
1: You know, you raise a really good question, which is I've thought about vision too. And I do think it's inherently harder to see ahead right now. Do you find that with mm-hmm. your own company? Like if you think about, okay, 2028, right? what's it going to be like? Like maybe the AI are going to run us. I don't know. Like, <laughs>
0: Yes, 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 yes. I was going to say, I I mean, part of why I think I'm so aware of this and and probably compassionate around this issue for leaders is I feel it myself in Mm -hmm. that, you know, even trying to anticipate what's on the horizon for foresight over the next few years, you know, just even knowing like what to measure, what targets to set. And, you know, and maybe because I don't like failure, which is probably, again, most leaders are like, yep don't love failure. It's a necessary <laughs> part of g- growth. and But, uh, you, you know, it's like, I, I think setting some audacious goals or, you know, uh, uh, vision for the future feels a little bit like I, you feel like you're kind of shooting in the dark because, again, I think we just have a kind of a fear reaction to the last few years. So, yeah, for me, it's a, what what to measure, what to really aim for, Um, And there's a little bit of, I'm trying to redefine what's most important to me. You know, like what, Mm. you know, I've been so ambitious for 20 plus years of my career. And what really does matter? What is most significant? And trying to get a little more honest with myself about that. That's a little bit of where I am, you know, personally in this season too.
1: So do you have any early insight into that? (laughs) What is actually important to you and what might've been five years ago, but isn't anymore?
0: Yeah, I think it is. It's just, it's getting back to healthy leaders and healthy teams has been a big driver for me for a long, long time. But it's really easy, especially, you know, in the seat that I'm in now where I'm leading a team that that's what we do. That's how we focus and support other organizations and leaders It can quickly become about um, how do we make sure we've, you know, we're serving enough leaders or we're, you know, we've got enough, you know, organizations that we're partnering with that we can keep the doors open and, you know, just those functional things that are a part of, you know, running an organization. And I think for me, it's been a bit more of the, well, what's the real why behind that? right? Like, and can I keep that why more present than the metrics or the goals? The metrics and the goals matter because they help us, um, they help keep us motivated. But if they matter more than the true why, I think that's where it starts to get, it starts to suck the life out of me anyway. That, I think that's the thing for me is like, if I lose sight of, gosh, I want to celebrate the story of the leader that I was with last week, who, um, you know, was really struggling with a dynamic with their team and we were able to kind of coach through that and work through that. And they had kind of that aha light bulb moment where they're like, oh my gosh, here's what I need to do differently to lead our team better. And like connecting to those stories more than connecting to just the, the numbers and the metrics and so forth. So there's, there's a lot of that of like, where am I placing my value and emphasis? And then you and you, you and Tony and Marilyn and I were talking about this, but we're in a stage in season two where we're able to do more together. Um, And so when we're able to go do work together and my husband comes with me, I'm like, you know, again, we were up by you guys um, a week or so ago. And so we took a couple extra days and just played tourist and, you know, and so being able to merge more of personal life and work life, I've, I've historically always been pretty compartmentalized. And I think a little more integration of work and family and my life being more integrated, I think is probably, I said a lot of words to get really get to that, to synthesize that. But I think like that, that integration more of my, of whole life is more meaningful to me right now.
1: Yeah. You know, it's something that I've really been thinking about because I enjoy this work so much. There is no finish line ahead. Right. It's, it's, and so our mantra for the last few years as we entered our fifties has been, we're taking our retirement as we go. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's no like finish line where, okay, I'm done today. And now let's do a month in Europe or whatever. But, you know, we're getting on a plane tomorrow to go to Montana, to see a friend who's getting married. We're going to spend a week there. We're spending a month in Australia, New Zealand, maybe Singapore and Germany next year. I'm doing some speaking, but we're also doing some really great travel, etc. particularly in New Zealand next year. And I think that's that's a, sort of a new model. I mean, historically, there's always been a finish line, right? Yeah. Like, yep. when are you going to retire? And some careers still have that. I get it. And if you hate yep. your job, okay, right. I get that too. But I like my job. Like, I really enjoy it. And so yep. how do I get permission to keep doing this? And then away we go. I'd like to go back to what you said earlier, what we talked about briefly, which is how to cast a vision for the future when you can't see ahead and everything mm-hmm. is so so shifting and volatile and the pace of change is just exploding. Yes. So yep. this is what you do. You just spent a couple of days at Conexus walking, yeah. Jeff and the team, I wasn't there because I'm the founding pastor, which means I don't have any responsibilities, um, <laughs> but walking them through a three to five year plan or whatever you guys were doing. Sure. So if I come to you and I say, Jenny, I... I just I don't even know what 2024 is gonna hold. Right. Like yeah. Help me figure out I gotta I gotta put a plan together for the future. What do I do? Do I launch more campuses? Like we're growing, but like what does that look like? What what are some questions you would ask me to help me see ahead?
0: Yeah. It you know, it 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 is it is a little daunting, I think, for every leader to go, how in the world do we mark out? You know, it used to be we did 10-year plans, like, you know, that was just like what you did. And then we shortened it to five year plans. And now we're going, can we even do five years because of the rate of change and so forth? And so part of the way I like diffuse that a little bit is like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna try to look out on the horizon and see as much as we can see. So let's say, let's, let's say we want to kind of aim for five years ahead. It doesn't mean we can't adjust the plan. So first of all, don't feel like you're locked in and like this is the only thing we can do because if something shifts or changed, we 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 adjust, but at least it gets mm-hmm. us, it get. I think the, the biggest challenge for most leaders is we stay in the immediate and we're not pushing ourselves to be thinking out ahead. I mean, one of the things I coach most leaders all the time is that you actually, and Carrie, like I need to be preaching to myself most of the time. So like, you know, <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Right. But, um, but we really need, if you're in a senior leadership seat, the majority of your time should be spent like looking six to 18 months ahead. You know, so our church leaders who are listening, like one of the biggest ahas for me when I was in the exec pastor seat was the day that my um, my team, it's Easter week, my team is like, you know, going crazy, you know, trying to make all the Easter stuff happen. And I'm not, my hair's not on fire. Because you know what? Back in November and December was when I was anticipating our Easter challenges and what that meant. And I was prepping the team and I was prepping our facilities. And I was like, so my busyness was six months ahead of the team's busyness. And so that's always a little bit of a like, uh, first question is, where are you spending most of your time planning and thinking? Because you really need to be six, 12, 18 months ahead of the team most of the time. So that's a first question. Um, but then, you know, as we're really thinking big planning, it's, okay, what what has God consistently done here? Like, um, or where do question. we see momentum? Like, so we're looking for those little kind of breadcrumbs of um, what, whether you want to call it favor, success, momentum, whatever word you're comfortable with. But like, what are some of those things that God is doing in and through your team and your ministry? And then what does that tell us about the future? Because whatever wherever we've seen again that momentum or favor, we want to kind of look at that and go, "Okay, what's behind that?" And then how mm-hmm. do we keep leaning into that for these next 5 years or whatever it might be? So those are some starting points for me. I'm looking at those those breadcrumbs of history to say, "What are what are we best at?" There's a there's a scripture Um, in Galatians um, that says, uh, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given. And, you know, we take that personally a lot, but I like to look at it organizationally of make a careful exploration of who you are. Like, how has God wired you and gifted you, even as a church? How has he uniquely, like, positioned you to serve your community? And then what would it look like to do more of that in the next five years? So— Those are some starting points, you know, for me in the conversation.
1: Do you get a sense that leaders might be a little bit reticent to dream about the future because they've taken so many hits over the last five years? Yes. You know, all of our 2020 visions went up to smoke. Yeah. Um, We're a little shy because we said something and we got assassinated and then we said it the other way and then people got mad at us and you know, I'm still running into, there's a small subset of the church where there seems to be rapid growth and there's momentum. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of leaders who are still struggling and can't see the future. Do you see that? And if so, what would you say to those leaders?
0: Mm. Yeah, I do see that. Um, And and I do understand it. There's just fatigue, right? There's just a little bit of, gosh, how do I win? And You know, we all want to feel like we're winning, right? Like that the work we're doing is meaningful; it's making an impact, etc. And I think what I would say to those leaders is to to pause and pay attention to the stories. Of um, a question I ask myself all the time is, "What's good?" Right? Because there's always something good. There's always something. That, um, and that I often overlook because I'm fixated on the frustration or, you know, the thing that's not going well. And so I would just encourage those leaders that you're there and you're in that seat because you are strategically positioned to help lead that organization, that church, that ministry forward. That, you know, you're in that seat, not on accident. There's a reason you're there. and mm. and, and our job is to go first. Our job is to help define what's next. And, um, and to just give, your, give yourself, your heart, some space to dream um, and to try to reconnect with that. And you might have to figure out, what do I need to do that well? One of the things we talk about all the time is lead yourself well to lead others better. That's a little axiom that you know, mm. I just kind of live with is, what do I need to do to lead myself well? Like if I'm not feeling a vision and hope for the future, well, it's really hard for me to lead others there. So I got to figure out how do I need to reconnect, to rejuvenate? What do I need to lead myself well so that I am I am in a place where I can help bring vision and direction to the team?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say too, too much, but we just went through a situation where my wife and I were dealing with a really difficult situation for the last year or so. And that has lifted over the last month. Mm. And what I didn't realize is how much that was impacting my day-to-day. yeah. Like when yeah, that yeah, lifted yeah. and that resolved, I'm like, you know, I've, I've taught people for years. It's like, yeah, you know, if you're having a few challenges in your personal life, that's going to show up in your work life. But we were able to deal with this and it's like the veil got lifted. I couldn't believe it. And I think that's one of those things as well. What would you say the toughest challenge is that you have faced over hmm. the last few years, just as a leader yourself, Jenny?
0: Yeah, I think that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of in the same vein of, but honestly, Carrie, it's probably been pushing myself too hard because of feeling the responsibility. So I, it's a blessing and a curse. I hold the responsibility of leadership very, uh, I carry the weight of that very, very, very much. Like I just like... I think you know, my conviction around leadership is that it's sacred work because we are influencing people, and that means we're we have the power to change or affect the lives of others. And so there's a true sacredness to the responsibility of leadership. So I hold that really rather heavy. And then in like Strengths Finder, I'm a responsibility person, you know. So it's like you just kind of throw You're all an of that on.
1: Three, right? Yes, Did I remember that, right? Yeah, yeah you remember yeah.
0: that, right? Yeah. So I like I will just feel like I'm responsible for everything, and I think you know I I felt very fortunate, especially over the past couple of years, that I was in a place where I could offer a lot of support and coaching and just hope to leaders, like the leaders that I got to work with, like I felt like what a gift to be able to speak into leaders from the seat that I sit in, right? Because I wasn't in in the middle of trying to figure out all the church dynamics. I could sit kind of adjacent and bring perspective. And I can't tell you the number of times where leaders would think that it was only them or only their church that was navigating all of these challenges. And I would be able to just bring a couple stories and they'd be like, oh my gosh, like I... Like I was convinced that it was just us, and I was like, "No, it's not just you." Like you know. So anyway, I I sat in a very I think unique space to be able to speak into the lives of leaders, but I think I underestimated the emotional weight and drain on myself. Right, like in that I was trying to pour out and serve and support, and I think it caught up with me probably late last year, like I started to really feel like the, gosh, where's my heart? Where's my motivation? Where's my passion? Like, I, I know I love this work. It's not a, I want to want to wake. I I want to walk away from it, but it's like, I, am I doing it in a way that's sustainable? You know, and I'm sure mm-hmm. I probably should have been picking up and rereading a lot of your resources to help, <laughs> help well, I, coach me, right? I have to me, reread right?
1: them too. Okay. So, <laughs>
0: But, th- but that, yeah. that, that is what it was for me, is that I violated my own boundaries and limits around being available and knowing what rejuvenates me and, um, and being more purposeful and disciplined in that. And I really was convicted by some of the very things we say at Foresight, lead yourself well to lead others better. Self-leadership is a core conviction and value of ours. And I just had to get a real honest with my team and say, every boundary we had around my schedule, I was blowing up right because i felt like i needed to do this or to respond to this or be present for this mm-hmm. and i know every leader understands especially pastors like we you they live in that world too of just feeling responsible
1: so how did you navigate out of that or maybe you're not out of that
0: i would i would say i'm not completely out of it if i'm real honest in mm-hmm. uh yep. you know we were on a call on monday now the I, I would say the thing that's been helpful is I brought my team more into it. So I have a small yeah. team, but they're a really phenomenal team. And, um and, you know, there's, there's occasions as a leader where you feel like, oh, gosh, I don't want them to, you know, think I don't have it together. Or I feel like I'm supposed to be the one, you know, like that, you know, that, that isn't struggling with some of these things. And, I brought my team into it and I said, guys, I don't think I'm giving my best, or I'm not giving my best energy to the best things for us. Um, and here's why. And here's what's happening in my schedule, and here's why this drains me. And some of it is, and you talk about this, Carrie, too, but it's like my I'm an introvert by nature. Now I have a mm. very extroverted job. Now I'm not an extreme introvert, but I like I I rejuvenate on alone time. I need mm. I need space to think, to write, to journal, to process, to read, like, and when my schedule is back-to-back every day with people that need something from me, right? And again, because I'm doing mostly coaching and consulting these days, like, when I show up, I'm usually leading the room. So, and this is true for a lot of the the leaders listening, right? When you show up, you're often the one who has to lead the discussion or you know, lead the meeting or whatever it is. And I just recognized I had way too much of that and not enough space that was rejuvenating and not enough conversations that were were pouring back into me. So I let the team in on that. And part of our weekly staff meeting is, Jenny, how's your schedule look this week? Now I have an assistant mm-hmm. who's helping me with that daily and she's like really disciplined about where we book things and where we don't book things. But then the whole team is looking at the decisions I'm making and what I'm committing to. And they're speaking into that. Um, and then they're also just looking at the calendar going, mm, should you really be doing that? Like that, they have permission to ask that question. And then of course my husband's part of those discussions as well. But it's, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a stretch for me, Carrie. Like I'm still figuring out how to right size my pace. That's healthy for me, healthy for the team for the long haul.
1: Well, I just said to my team recently, I need to go and reread at your best um, because <laughs> 2023 has been, that's my last book, if any, yeah. you know, uh, but you know, all about time, energy, and priorities. And, yes. you know, one of the questions and I'd like to ask you this, and you've hinted at it already, responsibility, Enneagram 3, you carry it all. Do you know how you let yourself get into that space? Because... I don't think leaders wake up and go, all right, I'm going to overwhelm myself. I'm going to, we slide into it and it's mm-hmm. incremental.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I'm very interested in my own life. And I don't know that I have an answer. What needs to be true in my life to allow myself to get overwhelmed? What, mm. what, what needs to be true in my life to cheat my own rules? Because I know the rules, right? right. right. And yep. I can say, well, these are all A-list opportunities and they are. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying no to some of them, but like, okay, but what has to be true to allow me to think I can bite off more than I can chew and still eat it? Do you have any insight into how you got yourself into that season?
0: I The first word that comes to mind, Carrie, is scarcity. Mm. And that's a, like, that's a thing that I I battle with a lot of like the fear mm. of mm. if I don't respond now I might never have the opportunity right. or if I don't serve this church right now when they really feel like they need the support that they won't get what they need or and like there's probably like unhealthy like ego or um hero like you know, mentality behind some of that too, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a little bit, if I don't, who will or when will it happen? And so I have to be, let me frame it this way a little bit. One of my um, prayers this year in just kind of trying to wrestle through this with God is, you know, whenever I'm feeling that overwhelm, I feel like he constantly says to me, do you trust me? Like, mm. seriously? I've been having like, those prayers lately. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, every time. And so, and this is real practical, right? But it's the, yeah. I, you and I both, we've had this conversation before. I have a whole team of staff now that I'm responsible for. And so if we don't book certain work or I don't take that consulting opportunity or I don't take that speaking event, And we don't have that revenue to the bottom line. So this is just getting real raw and honest, right? But like, if I don't do these things, it might result in, I don't have the resources to compensate my team or Mm -hmm. I don't have the resources to bring home for my family, you know, and my contribution Mm -hmm. to our family. And so that's, that's where that scarcity word comes in is that I will fear there's not enough. And, you know, whether that's time or that's money or, you know, whatever that is, I will fear there's not enough. And so I react out of that fear. Um, so I don't know if I got to your question no, exactly, but that's what came to mind as and, you asked. And
1: helpful. Do you know where that scarcity comes from?
0: I do. I've had I've had some good counseling through the years. You know, uh-huh. um, I grew up in a pretty um, uh, you know, I would say we were low middle class, if not you know like you know pretty pretty limited resources in my growing up years so i know that's part of it and some of that instilled some really good things of you know i i will maximize things to the hilt like i will you know i i will um be as wise as i possibly can with my resources and i'm pretty frugal when it comes to you know so there's some things that i feel like just made me conscientious of that but i think it also made me feel like um I, I just, knowing and understanding the abundance of who God is. And and here's the kicker for me, Carrie, is this, and this is, goes back to the question I feel like God keeps challenging me with, is do I really trust that he's my provider or do I think that I am? Because mm-hmm. I am firstborn, A-type, overachiever, who um, feels a high sense of responsibility and had to be pretty independent and pretty capable pretty early in my life story. And so— if I'm real honest, I think it's up to me. Like, I think I am wholly responsible and it all is up to me. And if I don't do it, who will? And I think the, the journey that I'm on with God right now is like, do I really trust him? Like, do I trust that he's actually my provider? Do I trust that he actually um, is directing our steps? And um, that's, the, that's the constant wrestle for me is am I doing it in my own power or am I really leaning into God's strength?
1: That's one of the major tensions in Christian leadership. Another one, I don't know that you struggle with this sometimes, but I realize one of the questions that lurks in the back of my mind and why I might be tempted to do a little bit more than I should is, and I've had this for years now, it's like, well, what if this is the peak? What What if next year isn't as good as this year? What if what if this is the last opportunity? I don't know where that comes from, but do you ever struggle with that or that isn't your particular brand of poison?
0: Yeah, a little bit of that. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah like, and even now this stage of, well, gosh, I'm not the youngest one anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, for years, I would be the youngest one at the table. And the young
1: leader, the bright rising star, the whole deal.
0: And you're still yep. young Jen.
1: But yeah, I know what you Thank mean. Thank you.
0: But yeah, isn't right. that interesting? And it's like, uh-huh. and so I'm even challenged by, and Carrie, you've modeled this well, that um, the passing the baton or and or bringing in young leaders early enough, I think one of the things I see so much is leaders holding on too long and not bringing up and developing young leaders and bringing them with them. It doesn't mean just like passing it off and abandoning them. But I think like- In a lot of ways, I'm seeing a lot of leaders hold on a little too long, and and not developing up others. And in some ways, I feel like I'm just getting started, you know, here in my late 40s, and yet I need to be conscientious of, hey, who am I developing? Who am I bringing up? How am I supporting them? And um. And so I think I'm afraid of missing the right opportunities and the right moments because. And it's kind of ridiculous, right? Because there are um, so many examples of leaders well into their 60s, 70s, 80s that are, I mean, living out their legacy in a beautiful way. And there is plenty for them to do. And there are plenty of ways for them to contribute. I think it is all about with perspective. And so, I don't know, that's a few things I'm kind of conscious of right now.
1: No, I think those are really good because, you know, one of the reasons I'm glad we're having this conversation, before I move on, is there anything else? Is there anything else sort of in the the challenge or the season mm-hmm. that you haven't said that you would like to say?
0: No, I think that probably, I think that probably gets it of just the, yeah. just real honesty about um, where am I and how do I need to be contributing at a meaningful level? And where's that, um, where's my perspective on all of that?
1: Because right here are the building blocks for a toxic culture. If you and I are not having these conversations, if you aren't doing that level of examine, to use yeah. that phrase, or going yep. to see the counselor or the therapist, or having those conversations with your team, that's where things start to go toxic. And yeah. it could be a little bit toxic, you know, a little bit of arsenic in the water. Uh, could still kill you, but a little bit, or it can go totally toxic. And I want to reflect before we get into your work on healthy cultures. You've been part of a church where you honestly thought the culture was healthy, Uh, but there were things going on with the senior pastor at that time that you didn't know about, other people didn't know about, and it all came out, made headline news for a while. It's a very common story. Yeah. Any reflections now, years later, about how that happens. Because I get Mm -hmm. DMs and I'm sure you get more of them from people who are like, we're in a really unhealthy culture here. Or alternatively, I thought it was healthy, but it turns out leader X is doing Y and we had no idea. So any observations from that season in your life with a little bit of time and extra wisdom now that you've got some distance from them?
0: Yeah, and I would say that has—the distance, the time has been helpful because there's a little bit Mm -hmm. of—as I reflect on that season, like an initially when things came out, um, and I had moved on by that point, but um, it was just so heartbreaking to recognize that there were things that were unhealthy and I didn't have good discernment around it. If I'm—you know, like I think— I reflect on that a little bit, Carrie. In that, it's kind of that proverbial frog in the boiling pot of water, right? Like you know, you're the the temperature's rising and you're immune to it, or you're you're not, you know you're you're just in it, so you don't recognize that it's shifting, it's changing. The water's about to boil, and I think that was very much true. I mean, there I've had to wrestle over the hand last handful of years of like it not to throw the whole thing out like i kind of wanted to like think you know gosh did i just miss it from day 1 and mm. but i think really what happened was the pressure of um growth and momentum over time created fractures right and particularly mm. for that senior leader you know one of the things when i'm working with teams on culture we talk about there's three critical parts of every organization, a clear purpose, a strong culture, and a good strategy. But we typically focus on the first and the third. We focus on that purpose, that why, What's the vision? What's the mission? Like, what are we doing? And then we jump to strategy. How are we going to make it happen? you know And so it's like, and we get really excited on that. But the culture, the people, are really the linchpin that t- tie those two things together. And the pressure of the strategy, especially when you're experiencing significant growth and momentum, um, the pressure of that creates fractures in the culture. And as I reflect back on it, I, when I left, um, and I left a couple years before it uh, kind of imploded, I knew there was something off, but I couldn't name it.
1: Mm.
0: And uh, you know, there were just a few things that weren't quite right um but it was more of a can you give us an feel. example
1: like what what did you sense was off what what was going off in your spidey senses
0: yeah there I, there was a a bit more tension between me and that senior leader um things that we historically had been aligned around we were not seeing eye to eye anymore and um and and i you know again i was like well they're the senior leader you know, I, I you know, so it was like, what do I do with that? Because we're not quite, we're not quite seeing it the same way. Um, so there, there were some things there. There were some, I want to say, take, wanting to take shortcuts. Um, mm. You know, some kind of like not like grossly wrong, but just like just integrity drifts that didn't feel quite right. Um, but I couldn't what would say. what an example this of is... a
1: shortcut be, just so so we can get specific.
0: Yeah, it would have been, it would, it would, it would have been. Um, so in this particular case, we had uh, a number of staff, not just the lead pastor, but a number of staff who, including myself, who had um, some extracurricular projects, whether it be mm-hmm. speaking or book writing, etc., which is not uncommon and initially we had some pretty clear boundaries around how we did those arrangements and protecting you know making sure that the resources that the church was using for things was um was not being spent on people's side hustles essentially mm-hmm. and so there were just some shifts in that of wanting to take different approaches um you know in that area and and I, I, wasn't completely comfortable with it personally, but it was a, uh, it was you know again just kind of subtle. It was
1: gray. It wasn't it was black gray. and white. It was a little bit gray. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Sure. Yeah. fair enough. Um,
0: and then I will say another piece of the puzzle there was um, some adjustments and drift over time around accountability. And Carrie, I would say this is probably one of the biggies, right? Yeah. In that we had a good structure. For like our elder board and the accountability process, mm-hmm. but over time, it was becoming more of a rubber stamp than it was becoming a true accountability uh, system. And again, very like very little moves over time that ultimately led to there not being probably the healthy accountability structure that, um, that it should have been there. Mm. Hmm. Um, so yeah, those are, those are a few things, you know, trying to be just, um, I would say one of the things that um, kind of stands out to me in that season was, I think we got too distracted and too busy to have good discernment. And and I would say that about myself. So, so like, I'll give you a little context. We were um, one of the fastest growing churches in the country at the time. I was executive director, I was number two in the organization. Um, one particular season, I was building out a brand new facility while launching another campus. And I was incredibly busy. Like I had so much going on that I was juggling so many different things that I think I didn't have the margin for discernment around, and it wasn't completely my responsibility, so I also recognize that, you know. Yeah. But, um, but I think, I think we're, when we're too busy and too distracted, it can keep us from having a good um, awareness on the health of the leader, the health of the team. And I think in hindsight, that really stands out to me that I thought I was doing all of this really good stuff for the the future of the church and the, you know, the strategy we were trying to accomplish. And it distracted me from maybe some other parts of my responsibility as a leader that um, I just didn't have margin for, or was not prioritizing because of the distraction. Does that make sense? I
1: think this is— Oh, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's so helpful because, you know, when you finally see a headline, and there was a headline at this church that we're describing, and there were some moral indiscretions on the part of the senior leader, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, just a, a very common story. Yeah. But one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation is it's not like, sometimes you can look at that and say, everybody knew and they were hiding and protecting and all that stuff. But I don't think that's the case. A lot That does happen.
0: Yeah, But I think
1: it's more common that you have, you know, not that your heart is completely pure. I've known you for a long time, but you have a good heart, Jenny. Like you're not Mm -hmm. out trying to, you know, pull the wool over people's eyes or doing things behind the scenes that are not consistent with um, who you present yourself to be in public. At least that's never been my experience Mm -hmm. of you. So you have good hearted staff working really hard. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, something smells a little bit off, but I don't really know... And you just keep going and you're busy, and the next thing you know, there's yeah. this revelation. So for people who are in that situation, or leaders who wonder if they themselves are drifting into unhealthy territory, what are some subtle signs that your culture might be turning toxic?
0: Yeah, yeah. you know, I think the, I think the busyness piece is big, um, and, and here's the thing, you know because then I've, I've seen other. Organizations kind of react to that and then be like, "Oh, we, you know, like we can't be busy at all." Well, there are certainly busy seasons, but busy a busy culture without rhythms of renewal is a caution mm. flag to me, right? Like, because mm. you're gonna have busy seasons. We're gonna have the big building project or Christmas or Easter or you know some big initiative that you have going on. But if we have just a busy culture without rhythms of renewal, you know, that those, then, then that is a warning sign to me. Like that's a caution flag to me. Um, I think also seeing siloed or very disconnected teams where people kind of start creating boundaries, even between teams or, you know, between projects where it's like, we lose the, like, we're all in this together. Like when we lose that, what, you know, there could be other things impacting that, but a lot of times it's like a, I'm going to work hard to protect my little team or my space so that we don't get caught up in the fray. And I mean, kudos to that leader if they're noticing something. And But I think if you're the senior leader and you see you know, people kind of um, getting siloed or disconnected from one another, there's usually something going on in the culture that's causing that. Um, hmm. Sometimes it's a little bit of a byproduct of just fast growth and trying to divide and conquer and make all things happen. But oftentimes a very siloed or disconnected or some us versus them language is often a symptom of, okay, there's something a little off, um, high turnover. That's a biggie. Like mm-hmm. if you're cycling through people, there's a reason you're cycling through people. And there's even if it's like, there's not, uh, I don't, you know, there's a lot of things that impact healthy cultures, but if you're, if you're cycling through people and people aren't staying, there's a reason why that's happening. And then I go back to that accountability structure. Um, you know, the challenge with that is that we're only ever as accountable as we really want to be. Like, we can we can put in the systems and we can play the game, but we still have to, like, be willing to be accountable. And if there are not um, mechanisms for that um, and there are checks and balances around that and we kind of understand how that structure works... Um, That's always a, that one's a concern to me. Another thing that stands out to me is um, uh, posture of learning and being in community. So Mm. when I think in hindsight, too, about some of where we were in that season, some of our most senior leaders were not in community with other peers and other leaders. Um, They were pretty isolated. And that was true of that lead pastor and... um, And so if we're, I think, finding community with other peers who understand your world and are asking good and hard questions and are speaking into your life, if that's missing, um, I think that is a little bit of a warning sign.
1: Those are really good signs. And again, you know, having that happen doesn't mean there's some kind of moral failure in the background. No. It just means your culture is not going to be ideal, right?
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, because there's... Um. yeah, that doesn't mean that it goes that direction, that it has to go to moral failure or implosion of the leader. But all of those things mean something's a little adrift. Something's not quite as healthy as it could be for the longevity of every person on the team. You know, I mean, one of my deep convictions about why healthy culture is so important is it really is the stewardship of people in pursuit of a mission, right? Like we have this team of people who are assembled to help us achieve this God-given mission. And so our job, especially as senior leaders, is to steward this group of people, to steward this culture in such a way that really, this is like the best place to work. This is the place where I'm being like, um, I am growing, I am learning, I am, I, you know, I am being challenged spiritually, professionally, you know, like in, in healthy ways to keep growing and being the best that God has equipped me to be. And I think, um, you know, when you start to see some of these symptoms of an unhealthy culture or a toxic culture, um, taking some action to, uh, uh, move towards health, I think is really, really critical. Obviously, that goes without saying,
1: but. Can a church be healthy if the leader isn't healthy, the senior leader?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. You know, I think about um, some of my experiences and I think that not entirely, I guess is the short answer to that. Um, If I think back to that particular scenario, I think pockets were healthy. And I think there were places where the team was a bit insulated from some of the unhealth of senior leadership. But in the end, it was catastrophic for every person who was on that team. Right? Like, and in some ways I think because I had such a heart and I did not do this perfectly. So I don't want to, I don't want to mislead this. I had such a heart for that team to thrive, even though like in the, the latter years I was there, I knew that something was a bit off. I had such a heart for that team to thrive that I was really committed to kind of being the buffer mm. and protecting the team. But in some ways, that um, almost made it worse in that, again, then I moved on and so created that chasm. And so uh, the, the answer is no, I don't think so. Ultimately, it's going to trickle down. It's just a matter of when, right? So goes the yeah. leader, so goes the team.
1: Yeah, that's what I think. I think you, you, you can temporarily have a bad season, Yeah. but inevitably, the healthy people will leave. Yes, Because they'll smell it like you smelt it. Even if they don't know what's going on, they'll smell it. They'll trickle out and you'll be left with people who are at the emotional health or spiritual health of the senior leader. If you're going back in time where you found yourself in that situation in the future, what would you do differently now? Because I'm thinking about the people who are listening who are in that situation Mm -hmm. right now. They're like, Jenny, uh, yeah, that's us right now. And you kind of like, oh, gave everyone the benefit of the doubt. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think culpably, like you didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah, moved on and you had a new calling and away you went. But yeah. knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Mm-hmm. And what would someone who is listening to this, what might they do differently?
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's huge. And that's big because, there I mean, sadly, there are a lot of leaders in that. And, you know, in the situation there was, yeah. I knew something was off. I just didn't know what, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that again, I would have quelled my distracted busyness and paid more attention to that little bit of inkling that I had. That you know, call it discernment, got whatever you want to call it. Because there were mechanisms I could have gone. You know, see, so I'm I'm uh, executive director number two in the organization, so to speak. I could have had tried to have a more. Uh, deliberate conversation with that senior leader. I don't know how fruitful that would have been because like I said earlier, we had had a few like places where we were sparring a little bit on some mm-hmm. things. So, um, but then my next step would have been to reach out to an elder or two and say, Hey, you know, how are your conversations going? Here's, I, mm-hmm. here's some things I'm discerning. I can't quite pinpoint anything specific, but you know, well, you know, maybe a little bit of you know, extra support or like checking in on our leader and our team, uh, I think at least reaching out and having that conversation um, would be valuable. Now, the danger in that, and I'm, I'm sure leaders that are listening to this are going, yes, and that could mean I put my, my job in jeopardy, right? Yep. Because um, a lot of leaders, when they're not in a healthy place, also um, will not be very forgiving if we go around them to whomever they're accountable to in our structure, it was the elders. Uh, so, I mean, I think, you know, the Matthew 18 thing would be to go first to that leader and just try to prod and ask some questions and, you know, posture around that is going to be important, et cetera. And then if that's not terribly fruitful and you're still feeling like, you know, something's not quite right that I think we need to be paying attention to um, going to like an elder board or somebody who does have that authority and just opening the conversation a bit, you know, Mm -hmm. another, another thing to do would be to say, Hey, I'm sensing that thing, you know, that, you know, we're not doing great as a team. Something's a little bit off. And, um, what, what probably would have happened in our scenario would have been the leader would have been like, yeah, I think you're just making that up, you know? And, Um, but, but maybe suggesting, well, Hey, it wouldn't hurt if we did a survey of the whole staff just to see, you know, am I just reading something or is the whole staff feeling something, you know? And like, so I'm a big, I'm a big advocate of, Hey, we need to have a pulse from the team on a regular basis and trying to just get more understanding of what the team is experiencing at all levels. And, uh, so I think a little bit of just trying to dig in and get a little more insight you're not not on a witch hunt, but on a, Hey, what is my gut like congruent with what others are experiencing or, um, you know, and, and how do I start testing for that? But I think you've got to follow your authority structure and, um, try to operate within that. And, you know, maybe it's like, like even in our case, I, I guess I would say I, 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 Carrie, it's hard for me to know now, did I, I knew something was off in the culture, you know, cause knowing what I know now, I know that the leader was not in a healthy place. Um, no. I, if I'm honest, I kind, I think I felt like my leader was just distracted and lacking some vision. And, and maybe that would have been even the best way to start the conversation, right? Of like, you know, hey, I'm noticing this about you. How are you doing? Are you talking with the elders? Are you, you know, do you have good accountability? Like, could I have asked a few more questions that were not me trying to identify something they were doing wrong, but more of a, hey, I feel, you feel a bit disconnected, you know? So I, it, I mean, it's,
1: yeah, it, no, it's super. And I love the nuance on this. Go ahead and finish your thought. Cause I don't want to cut you off.
0: No, I, I think I, I just kind of wrestling through it in real time because it's like, I know I'm, I'm trying to envision the person who's in this situation. Like we're describing who doesn't know exactly what's going on, but knows something is off and saying, Hey, what are those right conversations?" And I really honestly, right. It's like, go, it, it's a, it's a, probably a get on your face before God saying, God, what do I need to do with this, right? Like how, instead of avoiding it or ignoring it and hoping it goes away, try to really get some good clarity on what's the right step to take to that would could lead towards health or at least some clarity around, is our leader just tired and they need some support? And could a few key questions from me asked in a, Uh, honoring but sincere and helpful way prod them to be brave enough to take some next steps that would avoid, you know, them going a super unhealthy direction.
1: Well, and I appreciate the nuance in what you had to say too, because, you know, in this particular case, there was something, but a lot of the time there isn't. Your leader's tired. Maybe things aren't going particularly well at home. Maybe they're just in a slump whatever, it's not always that there's something behind the scenes that is hidden, you, you, yeah. you know? And, and so if you go in there with all guns blazing and like, <laughs> oh, this is a toxic culture and I'm getting rid of you and uh, whoa, 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 what, you're, you're, yeah. you're doing more damage than good right now.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think that's what I'm afraid of is, right? There's such a nuance to this. And I, yeah. I, I think one of the things that I talk about a lot in leadership coaching is that leaders, we're always in a bit over our head. Right, like you know, and
1: every day, and
0: yeah. yeah, right, and that praying for wisdom, like i i i I push on leader, the leaders I'm working with all the time of like I can't tell you all the answers. There's nobody who can tell you all the answers. Like yeah. you're in a you're in the leadership seat because you are helping define the next steps and, and move things forward. And so praying for God to give you the wisdom and the insight, I don't know what I would do if I weren't a Christ follower, right? Like I don't mm. know how I would lead well without that assurance of, of like, he says he'll give us wisdom, right? And so I love Mark Batterson. He recently posted something about the biggest thing we can do as leaders is pray. And I'm probably butchering the way he said it, but that's the way I took it, took away what I took away. Um, But it was just a conviction to me to say, gosh, the best tool we have in our tool belt as leaders is to be praying for that wisdom and discernment. And I think that's what I would encourage leaders that are sensing something unhealthy is praying through that and looking for insight and wisdom and discernment, and then maybe a couple of really safe voices who can help you kind of process the right next steps. Um, mm. and like you said, it may just be, gosh, they need permission to, um, say that, you know what, it's a hard season. I'm, you know, it's like, there's nothing catastrophic, yeah. but it's just yeah. like, I'm tired. And nothing hidden and, here. It's just yeah. rough.
1: I'm tired. Yeah.
0: And, and maybe it prompts them to get a little more support and they feel like they don't have to carry it on their own either. And what a gift. Well, they got a
1: problem with a child or a teenager or whatever,
0: right? Yeah. yeah, Exactly. You know, Carrie, here's something really practical. Um, I've been pretty honest with my team about the last few weeks have been pretty intense. It's been a busy full season of travel and all the things. And, and, um, on my call on Monday, my team said, Jen, how are you doing? And I said, you know what? I'm doing a little bit better because the week before in a call, I said, guys, I am on fumes. I'm going to do my best to contribute to this meeting in a meaningful way. But I'm, I'm just going to be real honest with you. I'm really tired right now. So, of course, on Monday, they asked me that question again. And um, and in something in there, I shared, you know what's going on? My husband and I are working on a project on, related to his work. It's just kind of hard right now. And so it's, we're having to make some decisions. It's financially a little bit challenging. And like, so honestly, that's weighing on me. That's what's going on behind the scenes is I've got that going on while, you know, we also are just in a really busy season of growth for Foresight. But it was them asking the question that gave me space to just go, hey, you know, here's the thing. I mean, I probably wasn't even fully aware of it. Like, but like, because the team asked the question, um, it prompted me to go. You know what? Yeah, here's what's going on. You know, we're just having a lot of hard conversations at home, trying to figure out this project that we're in the middle of that isn't going as well as it should. You know, and yeah, and that's that's just real life. Like, you know,
1: well, and that clears the air. And then people go, Oh, yeah, we've all been there. Great. And yeah. if that's the end of the story, that's the end of the story. That's a good explanation. And that probably won't be there two months from now. Or if yeah. it is, you'll update them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Uh, we talked about unhealthy cultures. What are some signs that your culture is healthy? I want to uh, end this on like a positive <laughs> no, note. Right? So, yes. yeah. you know, what are, what are some signs? Some people might be like, is, my, is everything toxic? I mean, according to the headlines, everything is these days. I but know. there are some actually really healthy leaders and healthy organizations. So how do you know yeah. that the grass isn't greener on the other side?
0: Yeah. Yes. So here's the fun part, right? Like, first of all, there's no perfect culture because we're a bunch of imperfect people trying to do this together. So like- Not if I'm
1: leading, it's not perfect, Jenny. I'll tell you that.
0: (laughs) So that's the first thing I'm telling leaders is like, you know, but we want a healthy one. We want, you know, and so defining what that looks like. And I, I said this earlier, but- just even an understanding of what is culture. You know what? Culture is, I have a couple different definitions, but it's who we are and how we work together to achieve our mission. So are we hyper clear about who we are, that mission, that vision, our purpose? Do we know how we work together? And Carrie, I know you, you and your team do this well, but values that guide us, right? Like this is... This is how we work together. This is how we show up. This is who we are at our best. This is how we commit to one another. So healthy cultures understand those things. Like they have kind of the ground rules of this is, this is how we work together. Like this is, this, these are our guiding principles. And so healthy cultures understand that, and it's super clear. You know, I think another thing, especially when we're talking churches, um, I think one of the things that grieves me the most is when church teams are unhealthy— because, you know, it should be the most energizing, most exciting, most passionate place to work because we're serving the greatest mission. Now, and there are, yep. uh, there are. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, what. wherever we are, we can live our mission out. But, I mean, church teams ought to be remarkably fun teams to be a part of. Now, it doesn't mean it's We should it's not be work.
1: the light to businesses and families. They should go like, excuse me, what, what are you guys doing? What are you because doing? Because we need more of that in my work.
0: Yeah. And I don't mean, and I know you don't mean this either. I don't mean just like fluffy, warm kumbaya, like, you know, it's great, everything, you know. No, we actually come and we do really hard work together. We like hold ourselves accountable. We have fun. We we care for each other. We champion each other. We, you know, we say, hey, you know what? You mentioned you were, you said you were going to have this project to me by such and such date. How are you doing on that? Because we know we have a shared mission we're working towards. So it's not without good rigor and accountability. I think actually those are good signs of good, healthy cultures when hard conversations happen um, frequently and honestly. Um, And uh, yeah, we just, we really sense that this mission we're on is vitally important and we're all committed to it. In the church world, I say, you know what? Our staff is actually our first congregation, right? Like, especially for senior leadership, your staff is your first congregation. Like the health of that team how well they're working together to achieve the mission is directly going to impact the health of the, the church at, at large. And so, um, you know, you get to define what does great culture look like here? That's the fun part, right? Like you can say, this is who we are and how we work together. And once we have clarity around that and we're living into that, it gets really fun.
1: What makes for a good cultural value? you teach on this mm-hmm. extensively. I have done some work in this area. We were actually debating with our team just a couple of days ago. One of our values is err on the side of generosity. Mm-hmm. And someone said, you know, I think we're doing a really good job financially being generous to people. Uh, I think we're, we're sort of generous in spirit and tone, but I've noticed that sometimes we're not very generous with our time with each other. It, it feels a little bit rushed. And I thought, you know, that's a great application. Now we can have a conversation about what that means. So I want to make sure that mm-hmm. they get a first claim on my time and we have a first claim. Because you're right. Like, yeah, you know, if you have a bad server who's grumpy at you or flight attendant who's grumpy at you, chances are maybe something happened at home or maybe they just have a bad manager. Like, right, and if right. that is your staff culture, right? If that is your staff culture where it's not fun, your customer is going to feel that. Like your client, your congregation is going to feel that. So any thoughts on what makes for a good value? The reason I'm asking, this took me like a year to figure out. For the first time when we did values, maybe 10 or so odd years ago. Yeah, it was about that, maybe 12. Um, It took me a long time to figure out, you know, because you want to say prayer, scripture, excellence, integrity. Mm -hmm. Those are all like, okay, yeah, but what else? Yeah. And so we ended up with stuff like air on the side of generosity, surprise and amaze, mm-hmm. uh, pursue health, v- yep. values like that. What, what yeah. defines it for you?
0: Yeah, I love this question because this is where a lot of leaders get stuck is like, well, there's so many things that should be good values. Um, yeah. Like you were saying earlier, prayer and integrity and, you know, all of that stuff. Well, absolutely, and I don't mean to be dismissive of those things. But in some ways, those are kind of the assumed, depending on— the yeah. mission and, you know, Table organization. Stakes, like, yeah. Like let's yeah. yeah. pay to play. You're not here if those things aren't already a given. What we're uh. looking for is like, what are the handful of things that are distinctive about your team and the work you do from another organization? Like the, they distinctively set you apart. And so you've named those as you were sharing some of the, the values that you guys have. And then what I encourage teams to do is we have we have a values grid, that tool that we use. And so we say, um, hey, what's the value? Like just at its core, like for us at Foresight, it's self-leadership because um, we mm. really believe that we've got to lead ourselves well to lead others better. And so, um, so we have the, that value of self-leadership,
1: but like then saying,
0: word. okay, why? Why that? You know, and so we write a belief statement for that value. Okay, okay. We believe we have to lead ourselves well because if we're going to be pouring into and investing into leaders on a daily basis, if that, we're not coming from a healthy place, that could cause more damage than good. And so there's a lot on the line. So that goes back to my conviction around leadership being sacred work. So that's our belief statement. Then we say, okay, what is what are the behaviors? What does that look like in action? So for every value, we'll just define three or four. You know, we're not—it's not this laundry list of behaviors, but three or four distinctives. You know, we're going to commit to ongoing leadership and development ourselves. So we have a plan. Every team member has a plan for their own growth. Um, we, will, uh, uh, we will. We will. We uh, will. Uh, adhere adhere to our margins and rhythms of life. So back to like my accountability with my team, right? Like that's core to our values that guide how we work together. So I'm always encouraging teams, what's that value? What's the belief behind that? And then what does it look like? Like three or four, just kind of like, you know you're living this value if you see these things. Mm. And then it's a lot of fun if you have a story or a memorable language to put around it. And so, uh, so we encourage teams that's, you know, you're not going to put all of that on the wall when you list your value statements, but that's what you're going to have kind of behind the scenes that kind of give that breadth and depth of the value for you to really, for your team to understand, okay, that's what this really means for us. That's what this looks like.
1: Jenny, this has been such a life-giving, honest conversation. Thank you for being so vulnerable. Um, Question for you, anything else that we haven't touched on? that you want to talk about?
0: Now, I think we've hit hopefully some things that are helpful and encouraging. And I would say, gosh, you guys, leading a healthy team is absolutely one of the greatest joys. So even though I had some bumpy seasons, I've had just some wonderful seasons. And it probably is what fuels me is having seen both, having been in some seasons where a team was unhealthy and then like being able to live into and do my best to lead Healthy teams, and um, what a gift to be able to help align people around a shared mission, help create an environment and a culture where they feel like they can give their best when they know what's expected of them. Um, they can contribute in a meaningful way, and um, and then they feel like they're part of something that really is significant and matters. Like it's the competitive advantage. Like it, you know, like healthy teams is is truly a competitive advantage in being able to achieve our missions. And so spending disproportionate time and energy into developing your team and developing your culture, I think has far greater ultimate impact um, than just figuring out your next strategy.
1: So if people want to track with you online, where is an easy place to find you these days?
0: Yeah, the best place to like connect with, with me and the team is getforesight.com. That's G-E-T, the number four, S-I-G-H-T.com. And we have a fun little like blind spot assessment right there at the top. It's the culture blind spot assessment. And it's a free little tool that helps you kind of assess, hey, where where might we have a few bumps in our culture we're not aware of? Um, lots of free resources, blogs, articles, podcasts, the whole thing to just kind of equip you in that. And then I'm just J- at Jenny Catron on all the socials, J-E-N-N-I-C-A-T-R-O-N. So it's, I'd love to connect there as well.
1: Well, Jenny, as always, it's a delight to connect with you. Thank you so much for uh, just being so transparent, for helping so many leaders today. I really appreciate you.
0: Carrie, thank you. Thanks for having the conversations that help us all lead better.
1: Gosh, Jenny is so bright and helps so many leaders. And you know what? Part of me, I I love hanging out with people who still do consulting. I do a lot of speaking. I kind of miss that. Like, I really kind of miss it. She gets to do it all the time. Anyway, hey, you should check out what Jenny has to say. She's got a great social media, great blog, all that stuff. Um, All those links are in the show notes. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 618 to learn more. And also, um, we got transcripts for you. So if you want to drill down on something, yep, they're easily searchable, and we'll take care of that for you all free. Next episode, we've got Mike Foster coming up. But first, I want to remind you to check out Compassion. If you're looking for a trusted ministry partner to help your families grow in their generosity, go to compassion.com slash carry. And then I've got a free course for you, The Art of Engagement. You can go to get.glue.us or click the link in the podcast description to get free access. Now, I can't believe I haven't had Mike Foster on this podcast, but I hadn't. So we sat down, we kept meeting all the time. I've gotten to know him over the years, but we're going to talk about how to tell it's time to leave your job, coming back after public failure, and finding the question that's motivating your life. Here's an excerpt. A person will not follow you and go all in with your vision as a leader if you are answering their primal question with a no or a maybe, okay? They, you know, if I don't feel safe in your organization, I don't feel like you have my back. I don't feel like, I feel like I could get fired at any moment. Uh, It's going to be hard to go all in with you. That's next. Also coming up, uh, Karen Gordon. We've got a composite episode of the Best of the Art of Leadership Network, my podcast network, then we kick off a brand new year with Church Trends. I've got episodes with J.P. Pacluda and Gabrielle McCullough, David Kinneman, Ryan Burge, Brady Shearer, and John Mark Comer to kick off 2024. And, well, it just gets better from there. So, uh, man, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know. Give Jenny and me a shout-out on social from time to time we repost you. And if you're like me, you're always looking for ways to stay informed. Man, I have loved putting together my On The Rise newsletter. I send it out every Friday. It's the most opened, most read email I send all week. And every week, I bring you the best content from around the web. I find some really curious things like reasons people start businesses across all 50 states. Believe it or not, they vary and a whole lot more. So think of it as a way for you to get access to some of the best and most curious and interesting content on the internet without having to do all the work yourself. Just subscribe for free. Go to ontherisenewsletter.com. That's ontherisenewsletter.com. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate our time together. And I hope our time together today has helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing.